0: This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit compassion.com/slash above. Episode twelve of 15 in the first season of Above and Beyond goes down a little different road. Unlike the eleven that have preceded this one, which have been all players or some former coaches and a lot of people I had relationship with, episode twelve comes from a different set of lenses. It comes from a different support system. It comes from the role of a team chaplain, a role that I think perfectly encompasses faith and sports in the intersection of those two. It comes from Nancy Cahill, who is the chaplain of the storm, who I have actually known for decades through my wife, when Nancy was the chaplain of the University of Washington women's basketball team, which Molly played for. And it comes from Tim Gatos, who is in the room as well, the chaplain of the Mariners and the Sounders. It brings their perspective, a unique perspective, because that is the one role, and I've experienced in this in my life, in my professional life, it's the one role in the organization where they want nothing from the athlete, and that's very different. And I think in today's society where the players are so interconnected in so many ways, and social media has brought so many more people into their fold, to actually have someone who is there to support, who is there to love, and who is there to serve. It's a pretty powerful resource. It was in my life, from Mike Rohrbach at the University of Washington and Carl Payne with the Seahawks, and then ultimately finishing up with Eric Simpson, the chaplain of the Colts, all played enormous roles in my walk. The number of tears I cried, the number of hugs that we shared, the impact they had on my life. And you'll hear over the next close to an hour, the impact that they have had in the organizations they've been in and even the people around those organizations. You're going to hear how opposition turns into opportunity in some of the most beautiful ways. So just as a little background I think for the folks listening I'll probably start right here and that is how you became a chaplain. Nancy, what what was the uh, what was the call to is it called chaplaincy? Is that, what what is the what is the official title of team chaplain of the Seattle Storm?
1: Well, as chaplain it's basically a chance to love and care for the players in the broad, broadest sense. And uh, the WNBA, when it was founded, there were some people that suggested that they needed to do what the NBA does by allowing there to be a voluntary chaplain for their teams. Mm-hmm. So they decided, oh, well, we have to do what the NBA teams do, so we'll agree to that, still not knowing what that involved. Mm-hmm. And so we had a number of volunteers around the country that um, just prayed for influence in some of the front offices and, and explaining that, well, the NBA does chapel sixty minutes before each game, so we should do that same timeline, and um, we'll allow both teams to be together, so there is efficiency with space, efficiency with just the home chaplain does chapel for both teams, mm-hmm. and it's of course voluntary for for the players that choose to come. And so it was that was sort of the the game plan for what happened. There have been some um, franchises where they, they didn't make it very easy for the chaplains to find a room or to be able to meet, and we've had some great players throughout the league that have stepped up and said, this is important to us and this needs to happen.
0: And Nancy, you were an unbelievable swimmer, a record setter, an All-American at Yale, I believe, back in the day. Did you know when your career was done and— And you're an attorney as well did you know that this was a calling did you know i i feel like i want to work with women or athletes or in sports did you know that this was a real call on your life to do this
1: i didn't know how it would map out uh i wished that there was something when i was in college at yale i wished there was some sort of uh athletic ministry or a place for athletes to gather i felt somewhat alone in that regard but i did feel like i was at yale for a reason So I just knew that there would be ways that I could be an encouragement to uh, young athletes, you know, boys and girls or men and women. And so the chance to um, do some sports ministry happened when at the University of Washington, I heard that there were some uh, female athletes from a variety of sports in the spring that were trying to get together for fellowship. One track performer, one softball player, one basketball player, one swimmer, one golfer. I think mm-hmm. that was about the composition, <laughs> and so someone asked me if I would come meet with them and just sort of share my story. And that was in about 1987. I felt this really could be a way I can have a positive impact on on uh, college athletes, and so I followed up with the basketball coach. I'd heard that she was a Christian, and I told her I enjoyed meeting with one of her players in that context. And she said, well, I'd love to make it possible if you wanted to meet more formally um, with with any players that are interested. So the next season sort of started a, a chapel program there and did that for 13 years before I began working with the storm.
0: And that's where you met my lovely wife mm-hmm. and you convinced her to marry me. Yes. Yes. I was, I was a much. huge
1: impact on, <laughs> on that decision. She didn't like you. No. And so I had-
0: oh, I know she didn't. We'll get to that story later. Thank you. Let me turn it over to the other man in the room here who actually has a connection way back when to uh, to my in-laws and, and my wife, Tim Gatos as well, uh, chaplain of both the Sounders and the Mariners. Not many of you out there are there any dual uh, citizenship with multiple sports teams? I mean, you're a talented guy—you're <laughs> <laughs> soccer players and professional baseball players, Tim.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not aware of anyone. There, there might be, but I'd be nice to find a, a colleague yeah. who who's doing both. Likewise, how
0: did you find yourself? You're in ministry. How did you find yourself led to to this incredible position? I mean, because the name of this podcast is the intersection of faith and sports. And isn't that really the title of a chaplain <laughs> of a team? You are right there at the intersection of their sports career and for those that are seeking it, a faith component as
2: well. Growing up, I, athletics was my idol, my identity. That was I thought it was gonna die for me and save me, you know, and I became a Jesus follower in college and was prepared to actually leave my my college basketball scholarship because I was I was so I mean, Jesus grabbed my heart and I actually went on a athletes in action tour down to South America. And it was, it was in that moment, we would play some basketball teams down there and, you know, halftime, just like AIA does, if you're familiar with them, you know, you share, someone shares their testimony at halftime. And, and I was a new believer in one of the games they said, Hey, would you, would you be willing to share at halftime? I said, man, I've never done that before. I don't, uh, I don't think I want to. And and then they made me. And uh, <laughs> so this is while you're in college? <laughs> this is why I'm in college. Yep. And you'd been saved. You gotten I'd saved. I'd gotten saved a year before. Sure. I'd never shared my my story, my faith journey, my testimony publicly at all. I was, you know, was just hadn't been in that position. Well, English was
0: a second language, right? So it was a good kind of safe landing it spot. It was, for right? You down oh, <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. Because they're looking at you all confused and then someone yeah. interprets for you. And, That's right. But it was, that was a, Watershed Holy Spirit moment mm. um, after that because you, you you see how God begins to 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 use not just your story but um, how He's going to move in um, in people's lives and and that whole trip um, I left there saying man if there, there there's there's really nothing else I can see doing than just telling people that they can have life and faith and freedom in Jesus Christ and I was on the on the path I wanted to be a college basketball coach. Right. That was the path that I was on, and and all of a sudden that started to to take a detour, and and so it, it's really I, I've been really encouraged and, and grateful that it that the, the athletic component has now kind of come full circle because I've been in pastoral ministry you know for the last you know nineteen years, and so in the last when when the Sounders opportunity came up seven years ago mm-hmm. to have that in a sense come full circle where that once was this this great idol for me and, and to now be able to walk alongside guys mm-hmm. who, as we all do, you know, we have things in our life that that we love that are good things, that we allow to become God things mm-hmm. and, and to be able to walk with them and encourage them. And that has been just a joy.
0: How did you ultimately land with both the Sounders and the Mariners?
2: So I was pastoring a church in downtown Seattle and one of the Sounders players was actually lived a couple blocks from us he was part of our church community and then part of our community group that my wife and I hosted in our condo downtown and we became close friends great guy and one day he just said hey they had been in the MLS about a year or so and and he said hey would you would you consider um, doing this with with us would you consider being the chaplain for for the sounders and and so met met some of the guys and, and it just and it just really clicked. And a lot of great guys um, on the team and being able to participate with them. And in a lot of ways, it's it's like I'm in church planting. It's like church planting, especially in the city, because you have a lot of transition. And so you get really close with people and then they get traded or they retire or whatever it is. And, and it's this hole in your heart that, because you know, you're not going to, you're not going to see them as much anymore. But, um, that was the Sounders. And then, uh, two years ago, um, the Mariners chaplain had retired and, and I'd gotten a couple calls from a couple people who knew that they were looking and some different folks call and say, Hey, would you be interested in, in doing this? My wife and I, you know, she joins with me in this cause she works with, um, wives and girlfriends and, and for her as well, it, we, we just really love just sitting down with You know, couples and she loves sitting down with the, you know, girlfriends and wives, fiancés, and just being able to be that source of trust, encouragement. I guess along those lines, uh, for both of you, the role of chaplain is what?
1: The nice thing is we are completely independent from the franchise. And that's really important because everyone else around them has an impact on how many minutes they play, whether Mm. they get paid, whether they get traded um whether they've just basically been banished to the end of the bench and so it it is nice for the players to know that um their choice to have a relationship with me is their own choice and and I'm not going to be rating them or grading them or paying them or you know it's complete confidential relationship and that's really that's really special, and a lot of them don't have relationships like that in their life because in the WNBA, most of them are playing 11 and a half months a year, so they don't have much downtime, mm. and they don't have much disconnect from either their overseas team or or their WNBA team.
0: Tim, what do you think the role is? What's what's the role of Tim Gatos, chaplain of the Sounders and Mariners?
2: Yeah, I would ag- agree with Nancy that confidant is is huge, being able to... A lot of these guys, they're so used to someone wanting something from them and to be in a place where it's, there is a, a, a trust relationship that it's not about getting something, but it, it's truly about that source of friendship and encouragement. And, and, it, and that, I mean, I, I see it as you're part pastor, you're part psychologist, you know, you're part counselor, you're part sociologist, Your I mean, there's all these things that come together because- they're gonna really open up and and talk about exactly what Nancy's saying because they once you develop the trust relationship, you are removed from the organization where you can have that sort of relationship. A lot of the guys, they're not able to really be involved in a faith community, in a church. And so you really you really are that kind of pastor, counselor, spiritual advisor. And all of it is, is interconnected.
0: And that's because of schedule, right? Schedule. I mean, they're just on the road. They're on the go. It's, as you said, Nancy, 11 and a half months. I'm on a big kick these days. It's interesting. I think the Lord is really doing this, both through this podcast and just in, in life in general, as maybe it's having a teenage daughter now and knowing how incredibly important it is to connect. It's kind of my, it's just the overriding theme right now, just to connect to connect with my radio audience, to connect with my radio co-host, to connect with my teenage daughter, to connect with dear neighbors of ours that have lost their son, to connect through these podcasts with stories. I would think connection in the role that you're in as chaplain, really, as you said, trust a number of times, but the ability to really connect. Uh, can you tell me, Nancy, through the years of doing this, how you've connected? How that connection in 2017 may be different than it was with Chris Gobrecht in 1987?
1: I think the best thing that a chaplain does is not prejudge who will connect well with us because there are international players, there there are people with different ages in the league, different backgrounds, and what's amazed me is the times that I make a very tight connection with someone completely different than I do, and it's just so neat to see what the Lord will do with that. Um, I still am very close touch with a, a gal from overseas that hasn't been in the league for 12 or 13 years. And um, it's, just a, it's just a really neat relationship on trust. And our backgrounds, she grew up in poverty. And so it, it's just really, uh, it's a privilege. I keep touch with a lot of my former college players and my former Storm players. Many of them are parents. And so they'll ask some parenting advice sometimes. And It's just been great.
0: Different connecting today with today's athlete than it was with the golfer, diver, gymnast, women's basketball player in 1987?
1: Well, some things, and maybe this is where Tim was getting at, an athlete through and through, that has been um, a consistent over the years, just amazing connection. I think having been a Division One athlete, even though I was a swimmer, not a basketball player, gives me a great deal of credibility, even being old enough to be the mom of these players. And I think there is that sisterhood that goes with having uh, been in the trenches and in an intense sport and being very focused and caring about what you do. So yes, the sport has become more professionalized. Obviously, the WNBA is, is in its you know, infancy still, but it's way more grown up than it was. It's, there are only 12 players per team. So 144 elite women basketball players from around the world play in the WNBA. That's not very many slots. That's not very many slots. And so it's a lot of pressure for them. And they have to, as I said, play overseas truly to make a living to support themselves the rest of the year. So it's complicated.:
2: How about you, Tim? How do you connect with today's athlete? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is we have we have them over to our house. It almost becomes a familial um, relationship. Sounders and Mariners are it's interesting. It's a little different, the organizations and, and even players, because you know soccer has a little more of a European flavor to it. Baseball is like Major League Baseball has, there's a precedent for um what I do, you know there it's been happening since 1954 sanctioned by Major League Baseball and having um chaplains there. I mean there's it's just very well known and I think there's a there's a difference I see between even the players in terms of soccer and baseball and which is really interesting. Being able to I think have that familial relationship. I mean that's something that cuts through um language, the culture. I mean, in those two sports, and yours as well for that matter, incredibly
0: international. We have players from all over the world. It's the familial aspect
2: that cuts through the It's the familial. So we, we try to, you know, have family dinners and, you know, meet our kids and mm-hmm. I mean it's just it's this fun thing that happens where all of a sudden there's a connection that happens and and we've had the opportunity to, you know, we do premarital counseling and marry them. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a really a connection that happens in that kind of way that doesn't always transfer with, with everybody, but, but that is, um, that is one thing that, that we look at my wife and I and say, let's, let's really have them be part of the family.
0: And you mentioned the baseball and the organization, that's baseball chapel that goes all the way back, right? Yep. What is, can you explain that?
2: Yeah, baseball chapel, my goodness, going back to, you know, early 50s and was it sanctioned by the league way back in the 1950s? Yeah, Major
0: League Baseball sanctioned it.
2: Yeah, it was sanctioned by the league and and there's even been, you know, some organizations depending on ownership and front office and there's going to be some very suspicious, skeptical even oppositional folks yeah. to what yeah. we do. And and so there is a there is a sensitive nature to what we do mm-hmm. and, and how we go about it and how professional we are. Because it is a unique thing, right? It's not like I'm going to show up at Amazon and like go walk up to someone at their desk and be like, hey, how can I pray for you today? You know? Yeah. This is a unique opportunity.
0: Yet there is sanctioned baseball chapel. So is there
2: actually a chapel service before each game? Or how does that function? Yeah. So there's a chapel service on Sunday, um, and that's been happening since the 50s. Wow. And so- So I'll do, you know, on Sunday I'll do chapel for the opposing team, and then I'll do chapel with the Mariners, and then I'll even do chapel with the umpires. And oh, come on, there's no faithful umpire.
0: That's very cool. So you have three different services on Sundays on home games. Yeah,
2: and what do those look like? So we'll meet with, you know, with the with the opposing team. You know, we'll, we'll find a. You know, we, we don't want to be too nice to them. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find like a, a really cramped closet somewhere. The bad fumes, Make them, right? make them sweat a little bit. Um, yeah. but, and I'll, you know, I, I won't do as, as good of exegetical work in my message on that one. Right. Maybe, maybe throw some eisegesis in there or something, but, uh, um, but, uh, you better be careful. Yeah. I know. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Yes but you'll have you'll have service for all
2: three groups. Huh? Yep, I'll do a service and then, you know, with the mariners we do it um, you know, right there next to the clubhouse and it it's open. They'll they'll put the message up on the board and and we'll have honestly, we'll have a pretty we'll have a great turnout, huh. you know. I mean, it's a it's really encouraging to see, you know, people from all walks of life, yep. um all backgrounds, languages, mm-hmm. you know. We'll have we'll even get an interpreter out there to to do some Spanish yep. interpretation and yep. and Very it's cool it's a really it's a really beautiful thing i'll 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 teach for you know fifteen twenty minutes and and I'll even have um different guys share parts of their story and testimony and and it's a it's a really you know encouraging time and for the sounders like you know sounders home games you know baseball players they get to the you know they're at the ballpark like <laughs> all the time and they get there real early and soccer's a little different you know they don't get there you know as as early, you know, they're not taking two hours of BP or anything like that. You know, I mean, they're warming up of course, but that one is a little closer to, to game time. That's more of kind of a pep rah, rah, like they're getting out. Of, I mean, it's close to them getting out in the field. I, I actually, I really love that because that's a more of an inspirational sure kind of. Does that
0: bring you back to South America? Does that bring you back to one of the, I mean, not to be hokey, but does that bring you back to some of that emotional root and connection? Totally.
2: Yeah, I mean I I love being able to connect in a in an inspirational way, you know, scripture and faith and sports and to me that there's so many deep elements there that I that I really love and being able to have you know encourage these guys like man go out and you know you're playing for something bigger it's not just about the 42,000 people out there man it's like you get a your god has gifted you has has given you these strengths and gifts and talents and abilities and you get this amazing opportunity to go out and perform and compete and I mean that's a there's something just amazing about that
0: I loved it yeah as i hear that i think back to Eric Simpson and Mike Rohrbach and Chuck and Barb Snyder and just the different folks that so impacted our lives. And you're right. I mean, it's just an amazing... I mean, it's it's sports, the intersection of faith and sports, man, things that we are so passionate about. Can I twist it and kind of turn it there and give me a story or two of some of the most impactful moments?
1: When I became a Christian a junior year in high school, so I never felt like I had a a great dramatic conversion in that I basically made the decision myself. But before I answer your question, I do want to share a weird thing about being a swimmer that then has been very interesting for basketball players to hear about because our sport is so different than any of the sports you're normally dealing with um, on these podcasts too. And so as a swimmer, I, from real five years old, when I started competing, what I absolutely loved about it is I was racing the clock. It was Nancy and the clock I'd stand on a block and dive off go as fast as I can and each time I swam whatever stroke I did I knew how fast I'd gone relative to how fast I'd ever gone before and I loved that accountability every once in a while there'd be a weather impact but it's nothing like influences other sports and and so I felt like I was very much in control of my own destiny A teammate was relevant in a relay, but really the rest of the time it was all me and all my work. So when I was a junior in high school and someone told me about their relationship with Jesus Christ, I was really very polite and I go, wow, that's great. I'm glad to hear that God loves you, but I do not think he loves me. And they, of course, were wondering about that. And I said, well, you know, I'm rowdy, kind of... um, sarcastic a lot of the time, like doing my own thing. And so I can understand why God loves some of those people. And I point to people that I thought were really nice, kind people. And so one of my friends that God put in my life was one that started asking me questions about, well, let me know more about what makes you tick. And so I talked about my swimming and I'm working on getting good grades because I wanted to go to college and swim in college. And and it was lots of use of the word I. I'm swimming. I'm working really hard. I'm going real fast. I'm getting good grades. I've got a really nice boyfriend. I'm going to get my driver's license. All these things about what things I could control. And uh, finally she said to me, Wow, you, you have a lot of talents. Who do you think gave you those talents? Well, um, I mean, maybe God gave me the talents, but I work really hard. I swim fast. I train hard. I get up early to go to early morning practices. So I got back to that story. And so when I have shared about being a swimmer to basketball players, they, they say that control that you hungered for and that accountability that you had we have some of those same pitfalls. We just do it in the context of a team. And some of that is just the the toughness you want to keep about, I don't want to have anything that takes my focus away from what my purpose is. And I think ultimately, the reason I was pushing God away was I was afraid he would take away my talents. And so I had this wise 16-year-old friend that just said, why do you think he would take those talents away from you if he gave you those talents in the first place, mm. wouldn't it be interesting to see what he would do with those talents if you if you trusted him with those? Mm. And so that was sort of the reason um, I decided to make a decision to ask Jesus mm. to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I knew I had made a decision. Um, I made it myself. I in my own room. I don't didn't go to church that was going to have any sort of discussion like that it didn't go to a church so it was really the transferability of the different sports and the and the connections and how we as athletes still hungering for control make us vulnerable to having some of those questions about what would happen if you gave up some of that control sure so i i realized I think when I was just doing college ministry that even though I felt like my sport might not relate to them, I began to really see those transferable things. And when I was vulnerable sharing about how hard I was on myself and how I didn't want to let anyone else control my destiny, that that really had an impact on, on some people looking at that same thing in their own life.
0: Can you be this vulnerable with a storm basketball player?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know they have trouble being vulnerable because their job is, is on the line so much, and they don't have much accountability around them because their family members are nowhere nearby and hardly have any any friends nearby. Uh, I like to think about if you ask a, a WNB player where their hometown is, they'll usually tell you where their mom lives, and that might be the connecting point. Mm-hmm. But When you say how often they go there, it might be one week a year. And that's the closest connection. So we try to encourage players to to get plugged into a church in the town they're playing in. And um, when they're on the road, to do some Bible study together with with their teammates in the hotel or so. Really trying to encourage them to get some of those vulnerable relationships where they're honest and, and trying to grow personally.
0: How's it changed your life? Tim, how's taking on this opportunity to gain the trust that you talk about and connect with these players and bring them into your home and and really try to build into their lives that you don't want anything from them? In so doing, how has it changed your life and your relationships?
2: Hmm, It's a great question. Nancy, she mentioned just this whole idea of um, what it means to just be honest you know with them and and when you first start and when I started you know 7 years ago you know people that friends of mine who would say oh man you get to man you get to do this this is great of course you look at it from the perspective of man you get to work with professional athletes how awesome is that right there's that superficial nature to it right and of course once you and you've been doing it 15 years for me doing it 7 now and and all of a sudden there's a number of things that happen. One is that you realize very quickly that man, they're, they are they're just a human, just like me. Number one, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they it, the the same struggles and issues, and just because there's they're they're in the public spotlight, we are on a, a very similar plane in terms of the things that we're both struggling with or dealing with or whatever it is, right? So you've you've got that happens pretty quickly. When I started. You know, I can remember thinking, man, this is just so awesome. Like, oh man, like, this is so cool going into the stadium. That's worn off. Not that it's not fun, right? But the whole aspect of the, the, the shiny, um, achievement, right? They're
0: professional athletes at the highest level There's 144 WNBA professional women. How many Sounders players are there? 25. 25. How many teams are there? I mean, you do the math, right? These are the greatest right now playing on planet earth Yeah. and you get to be around that level of achievement, (laughs) yet they are just as vulnerable, if not more, just as broken, if not more, that all that fame,
2: all that tension, all that professional success doesn't mean personal success. Yeah. I think when I first started, it was one of those things where it's like, if like in say in year one or two, like if they came to me and they said, Hey Tim, we're going to have to We're going to to go a different direction or something. I would have been like, "Oh my gosh!" I would have been crushed, right? Because I had my own identity wrapped up in the fact that I get to do this. And now I think the more that God has changed me, and the more that I'm on the ground and and doing this this ministry on the front lines, and and going through my own um, things that God is teaching me and showing me, and and that's certainly part of it. Working with athletes, it's that. God has has taken out some of my own idols around athletics through this.
0: Yeah, as you're talking, I think of Eric Simpson. He was our chaplain in Indy, just epitomized so much of that. He was just so genuine, so incredibly humble. Wanted no part of it, and because of that, we had upwards of twenty guys. I mean, non-believers like Monday to Thursday, just not not walking, but on Friday wanted to be there. Wanted to be a part of it. Wanted to be around because that guy's got, that guy's a genuine article, right? He's a genuine article. I'd love to transition in two kind of last ways here. Number one, for those that don't have any faith, right? of the 144, I don't know how many of them have, would check any box and say they're faithful or out of the 12 per team, Nancy, year to year or 25 per team on the Sounders and, and Mariners, how many of them have faith? Uh, what's your role with them? Don't want any part of it? maybe don't even want you around
1: well over the years the key thing is to if you're trying to love and care for everybody on the team that may mean for the people that aren't coming to chapel that you're doing something tangible like a big fruit basket delivered to the locker room or or make some cards and notes for them and and you know be a hometown for them when they're you know, a, a rookie having the first birthday away from home or things like that. And so there's been a chance to um, get some touch points with with the players that aren't coming to chapel in, in that way. And um, I had an interesting way that I saw an impact is, in um, 2007, I was diagnosed with breast cancer right before the season started. And for most of these 20, early 30-something players, they hadn't known anybody yet with, with breast cancer. And all of the players on the team were impacted. They were impacted, even those that didn't know me well, and they were watching. How is she going to deal with that surgery, or what's her attitude going to be like, or is she fearful? And many times people are fearful for their own mortality, too. And so they were going to learn through that. And so I think it was a great reminder to me that if we really, as chaplains, are chaplains for the whole team and caring for them, even if their desire is not to come anywhere near one of our meetings whatsoever, they need to know we we care about them and we have impact in in ways that they don't know such as such as that i mean i had a couple players really mad that i had not texted them overseas to let them know and i said gosh no i'm going to bother you you're in the euro league championships i'm not going to let you know we've had players on the team with a you know a, a parent or a grandparent dying and they know that the, we're praying for them and and oftentimes they've passed a message through a kid that comes to chapel we will, will you have the chaplains be be praying for me. Mm. And then finally, we get to really impact other people in the arena. The ushers, just on Wednesday, we had our first preseason game on Wednesday, and a policeman came up to me. And he was not a regular policeman. And we always have policemen for the referees. And um, this was a, a new one. And I came up and said hi to the two policemen and said, can I get you some water? And they said, no. But he said, you could pray for me. And I looked at his you know, name tag, and it just lists the first initial. And I said, tell me what your first name is. I'd love to be praying for you. And he said, my name's Chris. So um, the other policeman was, she was watching carefully and listening to that. And so we we view it as as a responsibility to impact the other people on staff and ushers and the media people. And, and you just never know when you can have a positive encouragement to someone else.
0: Can you tell me about a transformed life?
1: Well, I mentioned an usher in about my sixth year, so I feel like this guy had known me for six years, and I was just always saying something to him and and uh, came up to him real directly, and I said, You'll tell me a little bit more about your background. He said something that sounded like a Bible reference, but it wasn't an on-point Bible reference. And I said, oh, hey, you've got some background. Did you? go to church when you were younger and he says yeah i did but i left the church and he clearly wanted to tell me why and he says so i haven't opened a bible in years i said well i have an extra one here can i can i give you one yeah i'm kind of open to looking at it again i, I just think i kind of got mad when i was younger decided that there were some Christians that I didn't like, and so then I blamed God for that, and I just haven't thought about it for the last twenty-five years. Wow. And so I, you know, did some follow-up with him, and that was his last season working there. So it was—I felt like it was a divine appointment. That's awesome.
0: How about you, Tim? Both from a maybe a praise or an oppositional standpoint as well of just the opportunity to see a transform life.
2: I think that's that—that's what you pray and hope for. And that's why you're, you know, probably even why you're doing this podcast, right? You know, yeah. you want to see people's lives and hearts be transformed, you know, and, and be made whole. And that is the thing that keeps me going, you know, is to, is to see what, see God do things. And I mean, there's, I wish I could tell a lot of stories. A few years ago, a guy in the Sounders, um, who had a nominal relationship, you know, with God, but uh, he came up to me and And he said, Hey, I, I have everything I've always wanted in life. Everything since I was four, since I can remember any memory of my life has, has always been soccer. And I, that's what I grew up doing. And I always had a dream and goal to be a professional athlete, be a professional soccer player. And here, here I am in in probably the best soccer city in America playing before sold out crowds every night uh making good money i've got notoriety and i feel empty it's not filling me up and and that was just like wow and over the course of a couple conversations you know to to see to see this guy come to you know the truth and knowledge of of Christ in his life that Christ is the one who will fill you up you know he's the one who will make you whole the things of the world aren't aren't going to do that. God will give you the opportunity to showcase who he is through those things, but they won't fill you up, you know, to see that guy then even take steps towards understanding. And one thing that I, that I tell some of our more, you know, mature guys, you know, just this idea of stewardship, stewardship. Like you may, you, you've been given an opportunity and it's much bigger than you can imagine. You know, I mean, it's, we're talking kingdom of God. Like we're talking like an opportunity. How are you going to steward this opportunity? And to, and to see, to see this guy be able to take those steps to say, you know what, I want to, I want to share my faith. I, want, I actually want to be, get vocal, you know, about it. I want to encourage guys and I want to share that. And that can be a huge step. I mean, that's a huge thing to, to get vocal and to begin to have those conversations. And so that, that, I mean, I just get the, I get fired up just, just thinking about it and just seeing those kind of things that God is doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. I, uh, with, with some administrators from an, another team that I think they basically were showing that the chapel was a waste of time and, this creates a, a time frame for the players practicing. You know, it compresses the time in the hour before the game, and and wouldn't it be nice just to you know eliminate this? And I knew there was there was more to it than that. And but I felt like because they ventilated on me versus on their own team president or something that it was useful. I was supposed to hear it for a reason and just to give some perspective, and and that there are players on on her team that that did want this and. Uh, you know, just encourage her to ask some questions of their players on what they get out of chapel and things like that. So I was able to to soften the attack a bit and but you just never know what where someone's hurts come from.
0: You hear that word opposition. <laughs> I hear opportunity. When I really think of those that were um, <laughs> the greatest opposition, they were often those, that created such of the greatest opportunity. You know, I've shared the story about former teammate of mine in college, just flat out called me out. You know, printed the newspaper article, Philippians 4.13, question mark, with my sprained ankle. <laughs> you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but you can't play through a sprained ankle. I had linemen that wore shirt, that had printed shirts, that they were the ones that rode the dark horse in Revelation. <laughs> right you can be they call me the golden boy or something like the golden child like you're the one who's of course abstaining from drugs and sex and you're the one that's making these right choices and you're the one whose faith is out there well I want to be the one riding on the dark horse people would probably say that's like the greatest form of like public opposition but as it turned out and as I just right now even think through these stories I picture their faces and their names and their stories and their brokenness and so much of them that it's really not
2: opposition, it's opportunity. I, I've faced, I think, more mockery than challenge. And I think that's probably part of what you're saying. I mean, there, there's a there's a mocking tone there, right? That you receive. Yes. And, and that's what, I, I get more of that than like full breath challenge. It's more of a, oh yeah, there's the, There's the Jesus guys, the Jesus crew, you know, or the God squad is that's the, that's the, that's a good one right there. The the God squad. Right. And, um, but I love that too. Like I'm with you, Brock, because that's where it's like, yeah, I mean, I I mean, that doesn't offend me. And I think it's, if you have a good spirit about it, right. Then it's, it's like, whatever, like no
0: big deal. I mean, you'd rather have a hot or cold than lukewarm. Right, go ahead and and spit it at me because now at least we're, we're we're out there. We're vulnerable in a society that is so surfacey. Wow, we're all okay, exactly. whatever. Yeah. No, I mean it's a chance to really then hopefully dig into some pretty neat conversation. Totally,
2: absolutely. When that kind of thing doesn't phase you, then it's it's all of a sudden it's like, oh okay. Like I just kind of threw this shot over your bow, and mm-hmm. it's like you're not like getting upset about that or all of a sudden that there can be an open door to just kind of better relationship there.
0: The intersection of faith and sports. How are you not divisive for those? And I hope some that are tuning in and find this podcast are those that are cynical, right. That are those that were the Nancy's in their junior years in high school, that it was about me, right. My youth pastor that ended up marrying me and I love Scott. And he would say, man, I knew, uh, I knew that I wanted to reach you and build into your life. Because ultimately, it was about you, and you were so self-driven, right? You were such a perfectionist, you, and that ultimately, you're going to come to a point in a little bit of a crossroads <laughs> where you're going to fail, and it's going to be hard, and especially hard if you don't have any depth, any relationship, and any faith component. But I hope some are listening that have a total cynical view and an oppositional view, and this is a bunch of God squad, hocus pocus, fairy tales. I've gotten some of it already on Twitter. Enough with your fairy tales. But if they were to say, Nancy and Tim, how are you not divisive? How can you possibly have a chapel where you have people on the team coming and people on the team not coming? How is that not a divisive element in an organization?
1: I think the key part is having it be because it's the player's choice and no one is discriminated by not being there. I think the key part we'd do for the players that are there is encourage them to be loving and caring for their teammates and by doing that they are seeing a positive that comes out of of chapel so rather than feeling like it's only they that get this gets this closeness you know it 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 encourages we encourage our players to go go back um to really build the relationships with their with their teammates. So, um, yeah, I, I won't say that there's not going to be a, a divisiveness. I mean, there's teams that have some coaches or, or trainers and things that'll come to chapel too. And, um, so then some of those players will know that their coach or their trainer or their videographer or somebody is a, is a believer and it, it is what it is. And, it's an opportunity for growth. It's mm-hmm. an obstacle like that, that you turn into an opportunity for growth. And um, as long as they know you, you basically care for them. They may not like you, but they'll put up with you. How's that?
2: That's awesome. Some ask, well, yeah, I mean it's just a, a Christian thing. It's like, well, I'm a, totally open. Bring in anyone, right? I mean, that for sure. Bring in you bring in a, a Jewish chaplain, bring in a, a Muslim chaplain. Absolutely, 100%. No question. You know, you should do that. I'll, I'll stake my belief on Jesus Christ and, you know, his truth. And I mean, I, so I'm not, I wouldn't be uh, offended by that or threatened by that. Right. I mean, sure. Why not? I mean, it's, oh, and again, as Nancy said, it's totally voluntary and it's open. And I love what Nancy said about just, it is about living out the fruits of the spirit, right? I mean, that is the maturation process of, of moving into that gentleness and kindness and love and self-control. And, and hopefully those around see that this, this is a beautiful thing. But at the same time, I would say Jesus was simultaneously attractive and offensive at the same time, hmm. right? I mean he was the most attractive person in the world, right? I mean he, he the way he loved people and cared for people and took care of them and met their needs right where they're at. But yet they still didn't like what he had to say, right? So he so there's that element there and and so I in terms of that piece there's of course there's going to be po- people that aren't going to necessarily like what scripture says or Jesus says mm-hmm. and that is a uh, you gotta.
0: That, that's up to God, right? Is there any last thing, just kind of on your heart, that you would want people in a faith in sports podcast to find this? Any last thing that you would just love to share?
1: With social media and the changes that have impacted sports, it does put some of the believers in the various leagues in in more of a a focal point for being uh, attacked or found to be hypocritical or things like that. And so, I think that would be an area where it'd be neat to um to hear from from some of the guys and gals that are um in the thick of it and and how they um work with it and process it do
0: you feel that persecution dealing with them like do, is is that a do you feel that from them more than you did those athletes of 20 years ago
1: yeah there there are some some players that that do say they really do feel very watched by teammates or fans and what choices they're making and and uh, I mean, it's a good it's a good sense of responsibility too. That hopefully they will be worthy of the relationship they have with Christ to to share His love and and share share Christ's values in in how they act and treat other people.
0: Do you feel like in your roles of chaplaincy and you hit on this with the current players today? Do they want more authentic, genuine, vulnerable Nancy Cahill today? than they did 10 or 15 years ago? Do they want more, Tim, from you than an inspirational? Do they need to and do they define that they are see because they're polled more, they're watched more, that they are being analyzed and evaluated more, that they need more from you and your positions?
1: I think that society as a whole needs more human interaction. We've got people tied into their phones and their social media and they have a conversation with a human once or twice a day. It's, I think it's a real problem. And I think if we can make more one-on-one connections with people, a cup of coffee, a short conversation, um, it, it just helps people get out of their own little, little shell that of superficiality. Mm -hmm. And so it is fun when I see times where I'll have a player seek seek me out and say, "What can I be praying for you about?" and it's just a reminder that okay, that's that's a player that's getting out of their own shell and looking to see how they can be lifting others up in prayer, and and so that that gives me encouragement, and and it just reminds all of us that we need to do those human touch points more often, like you were saying, Brock, with your neighbors and you know, in your community and your kids' schools and things like that. We just need to just have those touch points. We can't be saying, oh, I'll get together with you all in a meal and not have enough time. But even just the the specific conversation and, and a caring comment to somebody can just make all the difference in the world.
2: Literally a week ago, um, when I'll do a Bible study with a group of them when they're in town during the week, and, and one of them just came up and just said, I, can we just— I don't want to come to this anymore. Can we just do one-on-one and can we just get together and go to a Starbucks and li- and just talk? And, and he actually wants to go through Ephesians. It's like, okay, sure, let's do it. You know, it's like, you see that there is a yearning for depth And the thing I see too, even piggybacking off Nancy is, is noticing how they want to know more about, you know, even how I'm doing and how my family's doing mm. and my wife's doing. Mm. And, and they're not, they just don't want to be like, oh, just come on, feed me the word or something. But it's, but there is a, I'm just noticing this intentionality of like, no, how, how are you doing? Mm. How are you doing? So
0: go out there and engage. Go connect. It's what Tim and Nancy have spent a lot of their life doing. Having just genuine conversations with people. You'll never know what may come of it. In fact, just the other day here in the office was having a conversation like that through these podcasts and what it's afforded a number of them actually over the last six months of just people that not necessarily ever thought that they would listen to a faith-based podcast but sure seem to enjoy the just genuine connection that we found in so many of them. And like we did today with Tim and Nancy.